Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Welcome. Welcome in Jesus' name. I, was, uh, I thought it was very kind of Lucinda to say it was an anomaly because of the snow and not because you lost an hour of sleep. So those of you who are joining us online, good to have you. Glad you're here. Um, so welcome. It's great to be together. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles and open to John chapter 15, that would be great. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take that one home with you. We really want everybody to have a copy of the Word of God. And if you don't, that one's yours. We'd really love for you to have it, and I would love for you to follow along where we are today, especially. Uh, this is a key cornerstone teaching of Jesus that we're going to look at uh, as we step into uh, this teaching today. So I really want to encourage you to uh, follow along and see what it is that Jesus is saying. So it was almost exactly two years ago when, uh, in my 20 years of full-time vocational ministry, I experienced the strangest Sunday morning gathering that I've ever been a part of. There were a handful of you that were a part of that as well. So if you remember, almost exactly two years ago, um, you got a video message from me on a Friday saying, hey, um, we're going to live stream our service for the very first time ever, and you can join us online. Uh, if you'd like to come and watch the live stream, you can do that. And uh, there were a handful of you, maybe 50 or so, a couple families and a bunch of people who were single and were like, what am I going to do? Just like sit at home and stare at the computer? So you all came in, which was wonderful. We had a live studio audience that very first time. That was really nice. Um, and there was a camera right here, and I was talking to the camera even though a bunch of you were here, and uh, little did any of us know that would be the last time I would see many of you face to face until June when we began to meet outside. And uh, it's been a wild journey since then. That very first live stream, if you joined us that first week, uh, was a little muddled in audio as we tried to figure out some of the details. We got better as the uh, season went on and we uh, began to communicate in a very different way because we entered into a really strange season as a, as a, as a people. It was just a, an odd time over the last uh, two years. As uh, st statisticians and uh, particularly church researchers look at this season, one of the things that they say about it is that uh, this pandemic has exposed what they're calling a crisis of non-discipleship. A crisis of non-discipleship. Fascinating language. Basically what they're saying is that uh, without the regular rhythm of the gathering, there was an exposing of the fact that for many of us, we were not grounded in the person of Jesus in love with him, but rather we showed up to church on Sunday morning because that's what you do on Sunday morning. And when all of a sudden that's not what you do on Sunday morning, everything looked a little bit different. And many people stepped back and began to reevaluate Barna, in their surveying, has called uh, an entire demographic of the American church uh, what they're terming habitual Christians, people who are Christian by habit, but not by lifestyle. Uh, and I don't, mean, uh, I don't mean intellectual belief. Intellectual belief is largely there. But I mean a life kind of belief, a belief that affects the way that we live. And so I've thought a lot about the last couple of years. Uh, honestly, we as a church have navigated the pandemic. You as a church have navigated the pandemic quite well in, uh, in total. And it's generally been a good thing. You can look back and you can see for some of you, uh, this has been a time of incredible growth in your relationship with Jesus. For others of you, it's been a time of struggle in your relationship with Jesus. And for most of us, it's been a little bit of both of that. But I look back and I think, 
what if I, if I had known this was coming, what would I have done different? And I don't mean like a, a week or two before March, but I mean like years ahead of time. It, it, back in 2015, what would I have done different? And there's a couple of things that immediately come to mind. The first one is this. I, we, we've talked a ton about community groups and how important it is to be in community with people, but I probably would have talked about that more and I probably would have pushed harder because when we aren't regularly in connection with people and then all of a sudden there's this period of time where you can't connect with people, those relationships become very difficult to form if they're not pre-existing. And so I, I would have pushed really hard on that. I would have uh, done my best in every way I possibly could to have equipped each one of you to be able to develop your own faith, to take charge of your own journey with Jesus. Not without support and uh, structure and equipping, but that each of us felt a responsibility for our own journey of faith. And third, I, I think I would have tried to figure out a way that everybody could have established a rhythm that was life-giving, a rhythm that would allow us to experience the love of Jesus and pass that love of Jesus on to the world around us in a way that uh, wasn't just rushed and stressed and trying to get another thing in, but in a way that in a natural flow of life, we were receiving and giving the love of Jesus. The heart of all of that is a rule of life, is a, a rhythm that allows us to do each one of those things. And so I guess this series is kind of a better late than never kind of thing, right? It's like, well, here we are, uh, so let's, uh, let's do it now. And so um, if you were with us last week, we began this short practice series called Developing a Rule of Life. If you didn't grab one of these booklets on the way in, let me encourage you, or last week, let me encourage you to grab one of these on the way out. They're just uh, in the lobby in that big gray thing right in the middle of the lobby. Uh, love for you to grab one of these. This is a, a practice series. Like I said last week, practice series are a little bit different than our regular teaching series in that our primary goal is uh, very practical. In fact, you'll feel the sense of that within uh, this message today. You're gonna hear a little bit of uh, teaching and then you're gonna hear a little bit of like kind of uh, seminar instruction as we together seek to practice what it means to, to live within a rule of life. And so last week we began with the question, why? Why would we wanna do something like this? In the midst of all of the other busyness and everything else going on, why develop a rule of life? And uh, we kind of grounded that in what I think is one of the most profound statements that Jesus made in the middle of Matthew chapter 6. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount as he was teaching, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's profound because Jesus was not just saying that your life follows what you love, but that you can, by the way that you cultivate your life, actually change what you love. Augustine made the statement that we become what we worship, we are what we love, that our loves are actually the things that drive us and shape us. And that's the heart of what Jesus was teaching, that um, our treasure determines what we love. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so why develop a rule of life? Well, a rule of life allows us to align our actions and our, our resources and our, um, our, our time to our deepest desires, to the things that we really long for, not just what's right in front of us, the urgent, but the most important things. For those of us who desire to be uh, becoming more and more like Jesus in apprenticeship to Jesus, a rule of life allows us to organize our life around those ideas, that we would be with Jesus, we would become like him, that we would do the things that Jesus did. 
And so that, uh, that action begins to change what we love. So today, I want us to look at a little bit of the how. What's it look like for us to develop a rule of life? And then over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about a bunch of different aspects of uh, developing a rule of life in a modern world. But today, I want to ground uh, where, we're, uh, where we're coming from out of John chapter 15. So uh, just to give you a brief bit of context in John 15, this is right in the center of what theologians call the upper room discourse or the final discourse. This is the very end of Jesus' life. He's with his disciples in the upper room. And the other gospel writers record kind of almost a formulaic way of understanding the, the Last Supper, the communion meal. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And Jesus certainly said that. But John records it differently. John records all of the details around that conversation rather than just that statement itself. It's almost like John has come in, if there was a voice recorder back then, that he hit record and he got Jesus all of his final teachings. And if you can imagine, if you knew that you were about to die and you had all of the most important people in the world around you for the next several hours, those things that you say would be of utmost importance. These are, I believe, some of the most important things that Jesus taught his disciples. And uh, in, in classic uh, Hebrew literature style, right in the center of this discourse is John chapter 15. Uh, Hebrews, in the way that they would communicate, would put the most important thing right in the middle. And Jesus, as he was communicating, grounded this teaching from John chapter 15 right in the center of this discourse. So I want you to listen. AJ's going to come and read for us John 15, 1 to 11, and just listen to the heart of Jesus as he communicates to his disciples. John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
may be full. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we look at these words, as we engage this truth, we ask that by your spirit you would come and speak to our hearts. God, we want to hear from you, from your spirit, and so I pray that you would guard my words, that they would come from your spirit alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain, and that they would find fertile soil in our hearts. And so Jesus, even right now, would you till up that soil and create a soft place, a rich place for the seed of your word to land that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. And so God, teach us. We open our hearts to you. Your servants are listening. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So there's so much in this passage, a bunch that we're not gonna be able to get to today. I just wanna uh, pull two principles out of it and then a third concept that kind of summarizes. So I wanna first look at an unbending principle. There's a principle deep in John chapter 15 that never changes. And I want us to look at what that principle is and what it means for us. And then I wanna look at the idea of cutting and pruning, something that Jesus talks quite a bit about within uh, this text. And then we're gonna do some practical gardening tips. They're not gonna probably help you grow tomatoes if that was your thing, but they uh, will hopefully help us as we're cultivating a rule of life as we uh, step into uh, cultivating that, uh, that vine and the branches and the fruit in our life. So an unbending principle, cutting and pruning, and some practical gardening tips. So if you're going to summarize those 11 verses that you just heard AJ read, there would probably be one word, if we were just going to pass a microphone around and you got a sentence, there would be one word that would be repeated over and over again, and that word is abide. You heard that word again and again and again, uh, 10 or 11 times just in those 11 verses. Jesus saying again and again, abide in me. Um, the, the Greek word is meno, and it literally means to dwell within, to make your home within. Um, in the NIV, it says remain in me. It's not as literal of a translation, but it's a, a great picture because it's saying, uh, it's saying stay there, don't move anywhere. So Jesus is saying, um, you, you need to, uh, more than anything else, the most important thing that you need to hear is that you need to stay with me. You need to stay connected to me. And then he makes a statement um, I'll read it. He's made it a couple times, but I'll make it. I'll read it in verse five. I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now it's interesting. Jesus is not posing this as a challenge or a threat or a, a proposition to us. He's making a statement of fact. This is what Jesus did over and over again. He often just said, "This is the way reality is." And reality is simply this. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's just the reality. So what that means for us on one side is, if we are not in him, if we're not abiding, dwelling in him, if we're not uh, connected to him, what's being produced in our life may look good or it may not, but whatever it is, it's not lasting eternal fruit. Because lasting, eternal fruit can only come from him. So if we abide in him, that's the only way we can produce fruit. 
But if you flip it around the other way, he's also saying, if you abide in me, you can't help but bear fruit. Like your life will bear fruit. You will have a fruitful life if you abide in me. Literally, the, the only requirement is that you abide in him and your life will be fruitful. All that fruit might look a little bit different and that fruit can be of different qualities depending on where you're at and what's going on in season in life, all of those kinds of things. But if you're in him, if I'm in him, my life bears fruit. And if I'm not in him, regardless of what else is looking good in the world around me, my life is not bearing fruit. This is a, a unbending, timeless principle, statement of reality that Jesus makes. Willard, I think, describes this really well. This, of all the Willard quotes that I've shared with you over the years, I think this one's my favorite, I think. Listen to this. The, the first and most basic thing we can do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our, our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. There's a lot of words there, but this is what he's saying. That if we constantly redirect our minds back to God, first as an act of the intellectual will, by intentionally abiding in him, we, we bring our attention back to him again and again and again. What will happen is that over time, that will become the natural response of our life. Abiding in him will be the natural way that we live. In fact, we would get to a place over a period of time where it's actually uncomfortable and odd to not be abiding in him. That the, the natural flow of our life will be abiding in him. I, I love the way that he says it in that second slide. He says, you know, sometimes we have this burdensome habit of uh, dwelling on things less than God. You know, you've been there before, right? Like that burdensome habit, right? But, but he says, th that's just a habit and habits can be changed. And so the fact that you and I spend so much of our time on earthly things is not just a, a curse of being human, it's actually a habit that we can begin to develop something different by bringing our hearts back in line with Jesus. We are called to, again and again, abide in him. Why? Because only in abiding in him can we bear fruit. So if you and I desire for fruitful lives, lives that express the gospel to the world around us, the beauty of Jesus to the world around us, we are called to constantly bring our lives back in line with Jesus. So the question is, how in the world do we do that? Because I don't think many of us would argue with that, right? Like that, that makes sense. If I could just spend all of my time focused on Jesus, I'd be good. But I have work and I have a family and I have obligations, I have stuff. Like I have things going on in my life. So how, how does that happen? How would I, in a normal, uh, normal 21st century American life, how, how would I place my heart intentionally in front of Jesus over and over again? That's the heart of what a rule of life is. 
A rule of life is intended to bring us back into the presence of God regularly throughout our days and our weeks and our months as a rhythm that allows us to experience the fullness of God. That word rule, which can uh, trip us up because we're not rule people, at least I'm not a rule person, uh, it literally, uh, it's it, the it was originally regula in Latin, and that can be translated trellis. So I actually like that, that translation much better. Rule feels constricting to me, but trellis is a great word picture. So trellis, um, if, you, if you have a vine that's growing, it needs a trellis to be able to grow. It needs a trellis to be able to give it freedom to be able to move. So if, if it, there isn't a structure for a vine to grow on, it's going to grow along the ground. It's going to ultimately just rot, and it's never going to be able to bear fruit. But a trellis gives that vine room to grow and to expand and to maximize its fruitfulness. So for us, that same thing is true with a rule of life. The goal of a rule of life is to give us the freedom to be able to experience the regular presence of Jesus so that abiding in him, we would bear much fruit. Margaret Gunther, in her book on rule of life, says it this way. A good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget, not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never constrict us. I love that idea of a spiritual budget because what Gunther's saying is that um, we all have limited resources. We all have limited amounts of time. There's only so much that we can control within our days. And so within that, how do we budget it? How do we manage that? And like a budget, it's a living document. So there's times that um, there, there are things that change within our life. And so there's things that shift within our rule of life. Our rule of life isn't something that we establish once and done forever. It's something that we constantly are addressing as we grow in Christ and as we grow closer to him. And so how does the process work? Well, Jesus talks about an initial principle that I think is really important for us uh, about cutting and pruning. Let me, let me read for you verse 2 from John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there, there's two different things that Jesus is doing here. Um, there's branches that are not doing what they should be doing. And those branches that are not doing what they should be doing, Jesus is calling us to cut them off. Now, that sounds pretty dramatic, but what he's basically saying is there are, there are big chunks of our lives that may not be bad, per se. They may not be sinful. Uh, they may not be uh, something that is uh, immediately drawing us away from God, but they're not productive. They're not, they have no potential of producing fruit. And so in that instance, he says there are areas of our life that just need to be cut off. They just need to be eliminated. And, and the language that Jesus uses is pretty direct. Like, they're going to be hauled away and burned. Like, that's, that's just, you need to be serious about it. You need to cut those things off. But on the other side, he also says that there are, uh, there are branches that do bear fruit, and those branches he prunes. So if you're following along, you have a life that's either unproductive or productive. Jesus is cutting the one side, or he's cutting the other side. So it's good for us to know everybody's getting the knife no matter what, okay? So just, you, you need to come into this knowing if you're serious about following Jesus, everybody's getting the knife. That's the way it works. And so some things are being cut off and some things are being cut back. So the pruning process is basically saying that if we don't prune back our life, 
The vine and the branches will begin to grow out of control, producing all kinds of leaves that will look really interesting, but don't actually bear any fruit. A a vine that's not pruned begins to, over a period of time, take all of the energy of that plant to feed the vine, to produce the leaves, and it doesn't produce any or very little fruit, which is an apt description, sadly, of a lot of our lives and a lot of our churches. A lot of energy gone to keep it moving, but very little fruit being produced. The bottom line is this. Pruning is absolutely essential to following after Jesus. There will be times that you and I have to cut things out, cut things back, and address things in our lives if we, des- if we desire to have more Christ-likeness in our life. That's just the way it works. So whether it's cutting things off or whether it's cutting things back, there's a need for us to engage that kind of um, Uh, that kind of removing. And so often within rule of life, people tend to think about all the things that need to be added. But honestly, a lot of rule of life is being willing to take things away, being willing to simplify what we're doing in order to center our hearts more on the fullness of Jesus. The goal is, through cutting and pruning, that we would align our lives with our deepest desires, the things that we really want, not just what's right in front of us, What's right in front of us always gets our attention because it's urgent. It's right there. But the most important things, they they need to be cultivated into our life. And that requires cutting and pruning. Okay, so um, some of you are starting to hyperventilate a little bit because you're like, my life is already too busy and now you're telling me to cut stuff out. I can't cut anything out. You're starting to like shake and some of you are starting to get really nervous. So let let me just just give you a word before we uh, dive into some practical things. You already have a rule of life, every single one of you. It's already done. It's already created. You may not know it. You may have no idea, honestly, what it is, but everybody here has a rule of life. Like there's a rhythm by which you live. That rhythm is your rule of life. So this isn't something that's brand new to you. You, can, uh, y- you already have one. All you're gonna do is adapt what you already have. So there's things that you do every day at the same time every day. Like, hopefully brush your teeth. Like, that would be part of a rule of life. Um, You eat food most days, at least, I would think. Uh, You you have a certain pattern to how you get up in the morning and get yourself awake, how you wind down at night and as you go to bed. That's all part of your rule of life. There's certain things that you do every week. So maybe it's a cleaning routine or it's visiting certain people or uh, engaging in certain activities. Those are weekly rhythms that are part of your rule of life. Maybe uh, there's something that you do on a regular basis every couple months or uh, once a year. There's a family vacation that you always take or whatever. All of that's part of your rule of life. You have a rule of life. All that we're seeking to do is align our our energies with our deepest desires. And so what that means is evaluating your current rule of life and figuring out ways, step by step, that you can begin to align that rule with the heart of Jesus so that you can abide in him. Because only by abiding in him will we bear fruit. And by abiding in him, we will always bear fruit. And so practically, what's that look like? 
Well, I'm going to throw out some practical tips for you. This is just kind of as you begin the process of evaluating your rule of life. I've pulled these from a whole bunch of different resources as well as my own experience in in the process. So I'm going to give you just six tips as kind of the beginning process of what's it look like to develop a rule of life. So the first one, uh, the first one is this. This is a rule, not a law. Those two things are very different. And when people approach rule of life, they tend to think of it more like a law, and it really is like a rule. So here's the difference. A law is established by someone, some authority, and it's placed upon you. You you are under that law, and it is not relational. It doesn't bend based on circumstances. It just is. So uh, right out here is Rathen Road. The speed limit on Rathen Road, despite what happens on Rathen Road all through the day, is 25 miles an hour. So that's the law. It doesn't change if, if it's the middle of the night and there's nobody around, it doesn't change. If you're in a hurry to get somewhere, it doesn't change. The speed limit is 25 miles an hour. And here's the thing, it's not relational. Rathen Road does not get upset if you go 40. Like the road's not mad at you. And the road's not mad at you if you go 15. I am, but the road is not. Like the, road, the road's fine. So, but if the police stop you, regardless of what your excuse is, the law is still at 25 miles an hour. That's, that's the way it works. A law is imposed from above and it doesn't change no matter what the circumstance is. That's, just, that's the way the law is. A rule, on the other hand, is something that you internally develop and you choose to submit yourself to based on your own desires and your own passions. So there is not a rule that I'm gonna say, here's your rule of life, everybody go live it. That would be like a law. But instead, you have a, a rule that you're developing And depending on what's going on, it may shift at different times. So for instance, um, your rule of life says every day, or sorry, every Tuesday, I'm going to fast. So I'm going to fast every day on Tuesday. But now I have a friend coming in from out of town and we're supposed to have dinner on Tuesday. So the law would say, you're going to sit awkwardly across from them at dinner while they eat. And you're going to say, sorry, I'm fasting right now. You know, you'd be like very holy or something. But a, a rule says, you could just fast on Thursday instead. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Or just, like, pick it up next week. Like, it's fine. Like, have dinner. It's good. It's good to engage with people. Why? Because it's a rule. It flexes. It flexes with what's going on. And it flexes at different seasons of life. There's always uh, changes within the rule. This is a rule, not a law. So that's number one. Number two is to start small and build slow. Sometimes people hear this. For some of you, this is the very first time you're hearing this language, the very first time you're kind of thinking through what's it look like to structure my life around spiritual disciplines and pursuing after Jesus, this kind of holistic way of following him. And and you get really fired up about it, and you're like, so, man, I haven't done any of this before. So I think I'm going to read the Bible for two hours a day, and I'm going to pray for an hour every night, and I'm going to fast the second half of the week. I'll I'll eat the first half, and then I'll fast the second half. (laughs) That was horror on your face. (laughs) Like, oh my goodness, I would never, right? Uh, You go into this stuff, and if you do that, it'll be like a day and a half. Like, that's all you got, because it's too much. Like, that's not where you are right now. Rather, start, start small. Uh, Margaret Gunther in her book, uh, she, she calls that the first day of Lent syndrome. I don't know if you've ever had that where you're like, I'm going to give up everything until Thursday. And then you're like, that was good for Ash Wednesday, but for Thursday, I need to eat now. It's like time, right? Um, so it, it's this, this idea that we, we jump way too far in. So start from where you are. The principle is this. Uh, you need to start where you are, not where you wish that you were. And for so many of us, we want to start where we wish that we were. 
But that means we're never gonna get started because we're not actually there. So start where you are. There's nobody critiquing from the outside. Like, between you and God, where are you? If you spend time with God once a week for five minutes, if you up that to three times a week for five minutes, you're in better shape than you were to start with. If you can get to some kind of a daily rhythm, even if it's just like two minutes when you get out of bed in the morning, that's better than nothing, right? Now look, spending five minutes a day with Jesus is not gonna make you Mother Teresa. Like you're gonna have to build from there. But start slow, start where you are. Uh, like, like, here's an easy one. The majority of Americans, which means likely the majority of the people in this room, spend the first moments of their day looking at their phone and the last moments of their day looking at their phone. So a real easy step forward is to say, I'm not taking my phone into my room with me. I'm going to leave it outside plug it in. I'm going to get an old school alarm clock from community aid. And I'm going to like, just some of you are like, no, the horror. Oh my goodness. I, I'm going to, I'm going to set my rhythm so that when I get up first thing in the morning, I can read a Psalm. I can just breathe. I can put myself in the presence of God before I check any of the notifications to find out who emailed me and what news happened overnight and all the stuff. And before I go to bed at night, instead of scrolling Instagram, I'm going to just spend, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. It takes 30 seconds. You could probably make it through before you fall asleep. You'll be good. Like just pray through the Lord's Prayer and settle my heart. Those are tiny little steps. But if, that, if that's not where you are right now, then that's starting small and then you start to build. Again, you're not going to become Henry Nowen by doing that. But it's a starting point and you can begin to build. So start small and build slow. Be specific, number three, be specific. So for most of us, we would say something like, my life is too busy and I need to create some margin. Okay, well, if that's your rule of life, you're never gonna get there because you don't know how to attack it. Like, how do I create margin? Instead, you could say something like, I'm going to have a 24-hour Sabbath each week. And during Sabbath, these are the activities I'm not going to engage some of you are like 24 hours, an eight-hour Sabbath to start with. It's okay. Start small and build. It's, it's fine. It's fine. But start specific. Rather than saying, I need to spend more time with God, I'm going to spend 15 minutes every morning reading the scriptures and praying. Th- those kinds of very specific things, because then you can say, I- I'm actually doing that. Like I've, I've put that on my rule of life. I'm going through the process of doing it. I, I sense the benefits of being in the presence of Jesus. So be specific. Don't just use big, vague statements, but be specific about ways that you, and you can look back and say, yes, benchmark. I did that. I did that. Now I can move on to the next thing. Number four, it's a really important one specifically for this service. Remember the season of life, your personality, and your stage of discipleship. So the rule of life for a young mom is going to look different than a retiree, okay? It's totally fine. Like you're all not gonna have the same rule of life because the the schedule of your life looks totally different. Recognize where you are and press into that as your rule of life. Don't uh, put unrealistic expectations for yourself based on your stage of life. So uh, Ronald Rollheiser has a fascinating writing on um, the, what he calls the domestic monastery. It's a fascinating concept. Uh, if you've ever been in a monastery, uh, one of the things that happens is there are bells that ring seven times during the day, and those bells are a call to prayer. 
And the way that monks are trained is like if you're in the middle of writing a word and you're like the third letter of a five-letter word and the bell rings, you're supposed to drop your pencil right then. Like, don't, don't even finish, don't even dot the I. Like, you're done. And you go straight to prayer. Because the bells are to remind us that our time is not our own. That our time belongs to God. And so as soon as God calls, it's his. Well, Rollheiser says, a, a toddler's house is a lot like that, right? Like, a cry happens over here, a fight happens over here, and it's like the bells are ringing, and it's time for me to pray and to engage life. It's a rhythm that we can engage. Now, um, if you're at a different phase of life, you don't have the crying in the other room to remind you. You're going to have another thing that will be part of the phase of life. But the, those seasons of life are going to change the way that you engage your rule of life. Uh, same thing with personality. Uh, extroverts and introverts will have different rules of life. So uh, if you're an extrovert, you need to have people in your life who are regularly engaging you. So you're going to have discipleship relationships and mentors, people who are speaking into your life. You're going to have gatherings of people where you're going to be able to engage uh, what Jesus is doing in your life. You're going to have gatherings with unbelievers who you're able to talk to about Jesus. Like there's going to be people everywhere. And for introverts, you're going to do that like once a month because you have to push through, right? And everybody else is going to be like, can I just sit in the corner alone and read a book? Like for me, like I love sitting in my office with the door shut, reading a book. I guess one of, it's like my happy place in the world. If I could do that every day, all day, that would be wonderful. But I do have to talk to people. That's part of the, the job. So, you know, I have to like come out of the shell every once in a while. Uh, so you have to uh, establish your rule of life based on your personality. Uh, recognize that you're going to have different things. And, um, and an extrovert is going to have a little bit of introvert style stuff. And an introvert needs to have a little bit of extrovert style stuff as part of our rule of life. But they're going to look different because of that. And same thing with stage of life. Don't compare your, your rule of life to somebody who's been following Jesus for 20 or 30 years more than you have. Because they're going to look different. They should look different. Somebody who's just starting out and following Jesus or just trying to establish a rule, you're, you're going to have some basic things as a part of your rhythm. But if you've been doing this for a while, uh, those things are going to have a little bit more complexity to them. They're going to have a, a little bit more depth to them. That's very appropriate. Like that's as it should be. So take all of those things into account as you're, uh, as you're establishing a rule of life. This is, there's not a one size fits all. In fact, uh, that's why we're developing it the way that we are. That every individual develops their own rule of life based on who they are and based on what uh, really feeds them in relationship with Jesus. Fifth one, um, have a healthy balance of upstream and downstream practices. Now, I probably need to define those things for you, but the, the, the idea here is that upstream practices are things that are difficult for you, that require work, and downstream practices are things that are, uh, they, they come very easily for you. They're, they're enjoyable for you. So like for me, sitting and doing spiritual reading is a downstream practice. I could do that all the time, no big deal at all. For me and for almost all of us, Fasting is an upstream practice. Like that's just, there's a few sickos who really like it, but most of you don't like it. It's just, it's, it's just hard, right? But those upstream practices, they grow us. It's good. Um, they, that's what we need to grow. But all of our rule of life should not be upstream practices. Like we're called into uh, enjoying the presence of Jesus. And so if everything you're doing is hard, you're not going to enjoy the presence of Jesus. 
Do fun things that you love as you align your heart with him. So for some of you, that's, uh, that's going for a walk out in the woods, or that's going and playing sports with friends, or uh, that's reading, or listening to worship music, or engaging all kinds of, th- those are downstream practices for many of you. Put, you should have a few upstream practices in your rule of life, and a lot of downstream practices. The, that's the way God formed you, and so if that, if that comes easily for you, it, it stands to reason that those are going to be things that as you enjoy God in ways that make sense to you, that he's going to use to form you. And so lots of downstream practices, a few upstream practices. And then finally, make sure your rule of life is holistic. This is not just a spiritual thing because we experience God in the fullness of our life. So things like exercise and how you eat and getting adequate rest, that's all part of your rule of life. Uh, going through a, a, a fully orbed emotional process. We're going to talk in a couple weeks about the idea of mourning and lament as part of a rule of life. One of the things that we tend to do in the church is just skip over the difficult things because we don't want to feel them. But that's part of our rule of life, that we would, we would actually mourn losses and we would, we would engage that and celebrate good things that we need to celebrate. Those are all part of rule of life, as well as spending time in prayer and reading and spiritual disciplines uh, and engaging relationally with people, whether that be in community, whether that be with neighbors and friends. Your rule of life should be holistic. And so that means if you're like super type A, you've already been taking a whole bunch of notes and you have like all kinds of things already like, I know what my rule of life is going to look like. I have it all planned out. You probably need to add rest into your rule of life because you, you forget that normal people have to like rest. Uh, that's actually part of the way that God created us as human, right? Like we're, we're finite. We need to sleep in order to refresh. We need to eat in order to have energy. Like God created us that way. And so it's good for you to put rest in there. Um, and for some of you, uh, if you're not, I don't know what the to- opposite of type A is. I don't think it's B. It's like Z or so. I don't know what it is, but whatever. If you're not type A, um, you need to have something other than rest in your rule of life, right? Like it can't just be rest. There has to be other stuff. And so you're like, I have permission now to rest for my rule of life. So I'll see you in three weeks. I'm taking a nap. Uh, no, you, have, uh, you need to be engaging other things. So, so recognize holistically where you're at. Uh, and that's where community can be a huge help. People can give you feedback on what they see and what could be helpful as you establish a rule of life. But recognize it needs to be, it needs to be holistic. Uh, in the very back of this practice guide, uh, there's about a four-page section, an appendix on developing your own rule of life. It's got all kinds of little tips in it, as well as a, a seven-part structure to begin to evaluate. So my encouragement for you this week is just to start to read through that, um, not to necessarily tackle it yet. Um, some of the type A people now are really sad. You don't have to tackle it yet. Just take a deep breath. You can just start to work through it. And then over the course of the next five or six weeks, we'll be establishing that uh, and working through it. But begin to kind of look at some of those different areas and what it looks like within my life. Begin to evaluate what's happening right now versus what, uh, what should be happening or what lines you up with your deepest desires. Remember, the heart of rule of life is that our deepest desires, our desire to be like Jesus, would be aligned with our schedule and our energies and our passions. Final thing I want to say for you this morning, and that is this. Remember that a rule of life is a means to an end, not the end itself. So having a rule of life can be an incredible response to the love of God when Jesus says, come and abide in me. 
When Jesus says, come and in me you'll find the fullness of life. Rule of life is one of the ways that we do that. But you don't get extra credit when you get to heaven for having a really good rule of life, right? It's not like, ooh, you get the corner suite because you had that rule of life that was really nice. Like, it doesn't work that way. Having a rule of life is not an end by itself. Having a rule of life helps us to get to the end. Our goal is to respond to the love of Jesus where he, through his sacrifice, has invited us into a new kind of life. And for many of us, if we're totally honest, we intellectually receive the sacrifice of Jesus, but we're failing to engage the kind of life that he's called us into. Rule of life is a means to that end, but it's not the end itself. And that's why I think it's so important for us to be doing this series during the Lenten season, because we constantly come back to the cross, come back to the communion table, and we remember what is the end. That Jesus, giving himself for us, has invited us into a new kind of life. And so today, once again, we are going to come back to the communion table and we're going to remember that Jesus has given himself for us. It was in the middle of that, uh, that discourse from John 15 that you heard that Jesus was at some point in that conversation explaining to the disciples what was happening. He took the bread at one point in time and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he passed it around to each one of them. And he said, as often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And then a little bit later, he took the cup, the cup of redemption. And rather than using the words that he was supposed to use as part of the Seder, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood that's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. So every time we come back to the table, we do that in remembrance of him. Come back and center our hearts once again. So I'm going to invite those of you who are serving communion, if you would come and take the elements around the room. There are going to be stations, I believe five of them, three across the front and two in the back. And you're going to be able to go to any one of those stations. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to go. And uh, just as you come to the station, you'll have a piece of bread just placed into your hand. You can receive that. Words of blessing will be spoken over you. And then you'll take a cup of juice. And uh, again, words of blessing will be spoken over you. You can eat, you can drink, and remember the sacrifice of Christ. There are baskets on the front pews, both in the back and, and the front up here, that you can drop your cups into. Uh, as we celebrate together. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited. Whether this is your church home or whether you're just uh, checking this out, if you are following Jesus, you're invited to the table. If you are uh, not yet a follower of Jesus, just a couple quick things. First of all, let me say we're really thrilled that you're here because we believe that the path towards life goes through Jesus himself. And the fact that you're here means that you're in some way looking at that path, on that path, and we're thrilled to be able to walk with you on that. If you're not ready yet to commit your life to him, there are some prayers that'll be on the screen, and I would encourage you to read through those prayers. The first one basically just says, Jesus, show me that this is real. Like, I'm not sure I get all of this. Would you just show yourself to me? It's a great prayer to pay, pr- pray because Jesus loves to answer prayers like that. Just show yourself to me, and he will. There's a second prayer that says, Jesus, I'm ready. I don't know all of what I'm saying, but I'm ready to follow after you. 
And I'd love if you pray that prayer for you to be able to come to one of the communion stations, but also to tell somebody about that. Because we really believe that following Jesus is something that we have to do with one another, that we, we need uh, people alongside of the journey with us. So we need you and you need us. And so we would love to know and to be able to walk with you. And so um, if you pray that prayer, I would encourage you to let somebody know about that. Last thing I always want to tell you is if you're a follower of Jesus and there's an area of your life that you have held on to, that you just said, Jesus, you can be Lord of everything but this, I would encourage you to uh, take this time to bring that before the Lord, to just take time to be quiet and to uh, bring your heart before him. Because this is, uh, among lots of things that we're doing, it's a declaration that Jesus is Lord. And so in that area, for whatever reason, you've said he can't be Lord. And so rather than going and making a false declaration that he's Lord, take time to say, God, why is that? What is it that I'm holding on to and why am I holding on to it? So this is a great opportunity for you to do that.